Good morning, everybody, and thank you so much for joining us. In a moment, I'm going to pray for you, but I want to kind of give you a reminder of what we did last week and how we got to uh, what we're going to do today. Uh, this week, I was meeting with a number of uh, pastors in our network. I do a weekly call with about 50 pastors from all over the country in our network, and we're just talking about reopening and all of that. And one of the questions that they uh, asked in the midst of it was, how do, you, how do we raise leaders in this time? What do we need to be looking for? How do we find the right church leaders to step up in this season? And, and while I was doing that, I got an epiphany, y'all, because based on the sermon we did yesterday, uh, last week, excuse me, talking about these, these four quadrants that parents should be raising their kids with, uh, I decided and I thought about it and I thought, what parents are really doing is they're really discipling their kids. They're really raising leaders. And so what, what these pastors were looking for is what parents should be raising on a daily basis. So I told them, go, go check out all four quadrants, listen to the sermon, and then let's talk about it next week. And in doing so, I thought, you know, I really gave a lot of information last week, but we really didn't talk through what, what do you do when, when, when you didn't grow up with... With, with a family that had all four. You remember last week we talked about it a little bit, and we said that in an arrow, Psalms 127 says that kid children are like an arrow. And the idea is that you've got the arrowhead, and then you've got the, the fletching, which is the last part, which is these four feathers attached to the arrow. Now, these four feathers are, are, are stabilizers, so that by the time it leaves the bow, they stabilize the arrow so that it gets to its the intended target. Ladies and gentlemen, what we have today in many households is arrows that are leaving the house, failure to launch, and they have no fletching, which means they have no stabilizing force, which therefore means they're wobbling all over the place, never hitting their intended target. But to, today, I brought some friends with me, and all I want to talk about is how do you make sure if I didn't get all four uh, feathers attached to me. What are those? Remember, we talked about them last week, that the home should be, should, the four purposes of the family are, number one, it should be a sanctuary, which is a shelter in the storm. Then we said it should be a school that teaches you life lessons. Then we talked about it as a scouting agency that should teach you purpose and how to know for sure what God's calling you to do. And then lastly, we said it was a service provider, which is the antidote to self-centeredness because we really, really do love ourselves. So when you, when you don't have those four, when, when the parents didn't give you those four stabilizing forces, then you're like an arrow wobbling through life, not hitting anything at all. What we're trying to show you today is how in the world do, if we didn't get it from them, how do you make sure that you are cultivating it so that you can first become the best you can be, and then number two, give that to the people that you're responsible for either mentoring, parenting, or developing. So here you go. Uh, 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 parents, here's the question you should ask. Um, how do I create these four feathers so that your kids can hit the target destination. Uh, perhaps you're a business leader or a CEO. Your question should be, what should I look for? How do I determine which one of these the potential executive teammate has? How, how do I determine who I should become a business partner with? How do I determine whether or not I should hire somebody on my staff? That's for you. For, for some single person, you should ask, how do I determine who I should marry? And you should look at all four of these quadrants, all four of these feathers, and ask and answer the question, God, um, uh, is this person stable enough? Come on, somebody. Is this person stable enough to take this family to its intended destination? And so, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to have each one of our communicators today. And man, I'm telling you, this church is so blessed. I mean, come on now. You've got, you've got Pastor Gary, who is our papa, who makes sure that he, that he takes care of the kids and the grandkids and the great-grandkids. And then you 
have Pastor Xavier or student pastor who's making sure that all the students in the church are well taken care of. And then you have Jada who is just crushing it every time she gets up. So you got, you got four of the best in the country, well, three of the best in the country that's going to communicate, that's going to communicate God's word to us today. So let me pray with us, and then we're going to start in each one of these four and show you how my, maybe you can relaunch if you, were, if you had failed to launch. Here we go. Father, will you guide us now? Will you prepare every single heart for what you're about to do today? God, each one of us have some area in which we lacked, some one of these feathers that are, that are not quite on correctly. Will you help us to identify that? And then will you then, God, help us to develop that so that we can be a stabilizing force for your impact and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Pastor Gary, come on, talk to us a little bit about the first one. I'd be glad to. Uh, the purpose of an arrow is to make an impact. And that, that's the whole point. And the purpose of our lives is to make an impact. We send our children out to make an impact. Jesus sent his disciples out to make an impact. He said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. And they made an impact. That's all come all the way down to us. Now, one of the things I've noticed in my life is that the most impactful people in my life were people with a servant's heart. Mm. And I've oftentimes looked at that and I think, how come some people, they just seem to serve others so easily? Is it, is it born into them? Did they get the service gene and, and other people didn't? How, how is it that they seem to just naturally know and act upon this idea of being a service provider. And then I realized over time that these people tend to have a very strong understanding of who God is. Good. Now listen, I heard somebody once say, and I've never forgotten it, whatever comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Whatever comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Here's why. Because if you have a mental image of God as being sort of harsh and, and sort of unyielding, well, well then guess how you're going to act. If you have a mental image of God as just tolerant and permissive, well, th then that's probably going to be reflected in the way you live your life. So, so how can we know what God is like? How can we have a proper mental image of God? Well, certainly the Bible helps us. The Bible reveals to us, now get this, that our God is a serving God. Yeah. You know how radical this is? See, because all the other gods in human history, they, they, they weren't serving God. They were powerful. Oh, oh they, they were dangerous. Oh, they might have been capricious. You never really knew whether they were in a good mood or a bad mood. You, you, you were never quite sure. They kind of mysterious. But the God who is revealed to us in the Bible, the one true God, is a God who serves. Good. Now, what kind of a God is that? It's the kind of a God who one day decides to pay a visit to the planet, he puts flesh, wraps himself in flesh, and when he comes to earth, he says this, I did not come to be served. Mm -hmm. mm. I came to serve mm. and to give my life a ransom for many. That's what Jesus said. I did not come to be served, but to serve. I, I, I don't know about you, but there have been times where I've said, you know, I, I, I just want to serve the Lord. And, and then I go back to what Jesus said, and Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. Mm. Does it mean it's wrong to serve him? No, no, no. It, what it means is when Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. It means if, if, if I want to honor Jesus, if I want to become like Jesus, then I need to serve my brothers and sisters. Yeah. I need to serve the people around me. Yeah. I imitate him best through service. Uh, there's a, there's a, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. First uh, Peter chapter 4, verse 10, it says, Each one of us has received a spiritual gift, and as we have received that spiritual gift, Peter says, employ it, put it to work. How? 
serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Then he goes on to talk about two categories of gifts, speaking gifts and serving gifts. And then he sums it up in verse 11 when he says, so that, in other words, when we serve and when we do that and use our gifts to serve others, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Now, see, the word glory, we think of it as something we do when we worship. We do glory. Well, well it actually has a, a very important meaning. The, the, the word glory just means the visible manifestation of the invisible God. God's invisible. Well, how, how do we know what he's like? You read throughout Scripture, and every time you read the word glory, God shows up. God reveals himself in some way. And so Peter says, so that God may be, so that the world will know what God is like if you take those gifts he's given you and you put them to work in serving one another, then you'll show the world what God is like. That's good. Because our God's a serving God. Now, okay, hold on, because I, ha- I have a problem, okay? And, and you may have this problem too, but, he, but here's my problem. I was born with an eye disease. I, I, I don't mean this kind of an eye disease. I mean this kind of an eye disease. A big capital I. Huh. See, see, I grew up thinking I was the center of the universe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, in our world today, I mean, helicopter parents, there's a bit serious case of kidolatry. Parents worshiping their children and making Ooh. sure that they're bubble wrapped and his, hermetically sealed and so nothing happens. To, you know, <laughs> so kids grow up thinking they're the center. That's how I grew up. And I, I had to come through some hard times to realize, no, 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 no. I'm not all that. Mm. I, I'm not the center of the universe. And so the only antidote for self-centeredness is service. That's good. Yeah, is to get good. outside of yourself and to serve. Jesus constantly taught his disciples that they were called to be service providers. You remember the, the, the awkward scene in the upper room when Jesus is trying to demonstrate to them what God is about, and he kneels down and begins to wash the disciples' feet. And Peter goes, no, 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 no. See, Peter didn't have it. He, he hadn't figured it out yet. And he says, no, you're not going to wash my feet. And then Jesus said this, do you understand what I've done to you? Hmm. Of course, the answer is no. Peter didn't really understand at that point. Uh, because you know what? Great men don't wash feet. Gr- great men have other... It, it, that's what he said. You, you, you know this system, and, 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 and important people have other people wash their feet. He says, but you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because I am. If I then, the Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. God's blessing, God's favor is upon those who serve. Greatness is measured by service. Mm. Remember how the disciples were arguing? Jesus one time caught them. They were talking to each other. He said, what are you guys talking about? He goes, we're just talking about which one of us is the greatest. Can you imagine that? <laughs> yeah, we're just, I, you know, who's greater? Who's, you know, who's, and we do that, don't we? We do it subtly. We get pretty good at it as we get older. You know, who's more important than, than the next person? And Jesus said, you want to be great? Mm. Then serve. Yeah. Uh. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. We hear a lot about greatness today. Uh, We hear a lot about, but but if you're promoting yourself, that's not greatness. Not according to Jesus. Jesus says greatness is measured by service. So serve someone today and make an impact. And trust me, that's greatness. Mm -hmm. That's what greatness is all about. Amen. That's greatness. Right. All right, Pastor Gary, talk to us a little bit about the difference between being famous and being great. A lot of people now oh, yeah. are yeah. on social media, oh, yeah. and everybody mm-hmm. wants, hey, man, I need more followers, I need more likes, I need more, I need more people subscribing. Tell, t- talk to us, either one of you, about this idea of greatness and uh, being famous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what are your thoughts? Xavier, you want to jump in? 
Yeah, I think that so many times it is what we're measuring. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we measure our significance by how many people are aware of what it is that we're doing mm -hmm. yeah. versus am I getting my significance directly from what God has said I need to do and how I'm impacting mm -hmm. the world around me. Yeah. Yeah. And so it really isn't about what I'm doing at all. It's about how people are perceiving what I'm doing. No, that's good. See, see this, 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 is what, this is why I prayed for this young guy. Yeah. <laughs> okay? Because when you're, when you're 24, you, you know the word that I hate more than any other word in the world? Potential. Mm. <laughs> oh, that's a young man that has potential. Yeah. Right. Mm. You know, potential is a word that's reserved for bad sports teams and 24-year-olds. Because yeah. <laughs> once you get past 30 or so, people don't care about, about your, your potential. potential. Right. Are you doing anything? Are you getting anything done? Right. And then you get to a point in your life, which I finally reached, where it's like, you know what? The greatest joy I get out of life, I don't, I don't, I, I don't care who knows me, yeah. mm -hmm. but, but what I do care about, I, man, I just want to serve with the gifts God's given me. That's, that's where I get my greatest joy. That's good. Wow. That's good. So that's greatness. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. All right, Xavier, what do you got? That's good. Um, just going to go and throw away all my potential really quickly. Um, <laughs> get ready. No, the, the second thing, the second purpose of the family is really about schooling. And it says that the primary purpose of the family is where you and I get our number one examples for relationships, our character, and our values. Those are the things that matter to us the most. Now, the tension here and the hard part here is that the biggest moments in our life, the highest moments, and the lowest moments in our life will normally be attached to some type of relationship, whether going good or bad, a business relationship, a business partnership, a marriage that went well or failed, a boyfriend or girlfriend that we never should have gotten with, or some type of character or value failure where I prevailed in a situation where my character shone through and people would applaud me, or my characters or values lapsed, and now I have shame and guilt in my life. My, and it my, really my. comes back to this area of our life that we miss, which is schooling which is not having the right example. Mm -hmm. Now, when I was in school, there was a subject called science. Um, there was a subject, not necessarily a subject that I'm good at, but the subject was definitely there. And as I got a little bit higher in science, they would split the subject into two sections. There would be a lecture, and then there would be a lab. And it's because they understood that when things get complex, like science and like you and my relationships, values, and character, when things get complex, it's not just enough to hear about it, but there are some things that have to be demonstrated. And that means that you and I, we got our primary view of these things, not from what our parents taught us or what people around us taught us, but they came from what was demonstrated. Right. Not yeah, from the right. lecture, but they came from the lab. Come on. And then we live in this tension, which is... That that you and I got a lecture from our parents about purity, but then we got a lab that said I had a bunch of uncles running around. Right. See, we got a lecture about being good Come with on. money, but then we got a lab about yeah. owning a new car when tax time came. All See, right, you and I on. got a lecture about going to school and getting a four-year degree, but when, then we got a lab that said our parents were successful without it. And so then we have to wrestle with this Ooh, internal issue now. of, I have all of these things that I was lectured in, but the labs taught me so many other things. Yeah. And those are Come the things on. that I normally live out and act out. And so in a lecture and in a lab, there are three things that you could do when you're in school. You can learn, which uh -huh. is there's something that I should have gotten, that I should have been demonstrated, that I should have learned in the lab that I didn't get. But then I can also unlearn, Come which on. is yeah, yeah. there is part of a lab that I've been taught that I need to get rid of. Yep. And then lastly, there's another one, which is I need to relearn. Now, Come my on. relearning normally comes when there's a lapse because what I thought was good my, is no my, longer my. good Amen. anymore. Yes. And for us to be successful and not have this failure to launch, we have to identify these areas, relationships, character, and value, and say, hey, what about these things do I need to learn? What about these things do I need to unlearn? Mm. And then what about these things do I need to relearn? Come on. See, I, I want to read a, read a scripture to you, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, I love it. It says this, it says, And do not be conformed to this world, Come on. but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. I, I want to read it another way. And do not be conformed to the lab, to what ah. you've been taught, 
to what you've been shown, Come on. to what you've been lectured about. Come on. Do not be conformed to, be la- to the lab, but be transformed by the renewing. See, I love if you, read, if, you, if you read real deep right here, it does not say the renewal of your mind, meaning I got saved and now I know better. It's the renewing, which means yes. that every Amen. single day there's right. something new that I need Somebody. to unlearn, something new yeah. that I need to learn, and something that I need to relearn. Let me give you an example. See, see, for me, growing up, I didn't always have a good biblical model of conflict. And so it was something that I was not learning. It was something that was not demonstrated. But I had a mentor one time. I remember we would come to his house, and we would knock on the door. And when we opened the door, you could feel that there was some type of tension there. He was a little more tense than normal. And he would say, hey, fellas, I know we're going to start our discipleship. But I want you to know right now that me and my wife, we just had a really, really big argument. He said, she's not speaking to me right now, so she might not speak to you. And we say, it's okay. Wait, we can come back. We don't, we don't need to be here for this. He said, no, 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 no. I want you to be here because I want you to see how a man handles conflict. Yeah, and it was good. so powerful because what he was showing me in the lab in that moment is that any relationship in my life was going to call for work. Any relationship yeah, that I wanted good. to be successful in, I was going to have to learn to deal with that conflict. And so in that moment, I had learned something, but now I had to unlearn what was inside of me. And for people who are going to be married or for people who are dating or for people who lead companies, you have to identify relationally or value-wise or where your character is, what is it that I need to learn, what is it that I need to unlearn, and what is it that I need to relearn? See, in our character, there are some things that we've learned. See, you and I, we've been taught that character is when I don't make mistakes. But the truth is that you and I will never be perfect. Character really is what we need to relearn is that our character is really proven when we make a mistake. Our character is proven when we say something that we shouldn't have to our waiter, but then we show our children that we're man enough or woman enough to turn around and go apologize and admit our mistakes. Our character is proven when we show that we're not partial to the Scriptures, that we trust the same God who can heal us. We trust that God with our finances, that we trust the same God in our relationships that we trust in every other part of our life. That we don't change on Sunday versus Monday through Saturday. That as Pastor Gary said, we show that we're not coming just to be served by the church and the people around us, but also to serve those around us. The last thing that I'll leave you with before we we go, we, we realize now that there are areas in my life that I need to learn. There are areas in my life that I need to unlearn. And there are areas in my life that I need to relearn. I think the most powerful example of this is if you've ever met somebody who had a serious injury or a sports-related injury, then you know that there are some fractures and some ruptures that cause them to lose the activity of one of their limbs only momentarily. Because what then happens is the person can go through a relearning process where they learn how to walk. And here's what I've learned is that oftentimes you and, you and me, when we go through traumatic relationships or when there's a lapse in character or when there's a lapse in value, we forget everything that we have. And normally we get sad about these moments. But really we ought to learn to bless God because those failures, those traumatic moments, they erase all of the stuff that we had learned before. And it gives God a chance to rebuild us right. into what he needs to rebuild right. us into. Yes, this is why we learn new habits in that moment. But this is why people get stuck in loops because they get into a traumatic relationship. They throw out everything that they had learned before. And the first person that they're now connected to teaches them how to rewalk into relationships. So if that relationship is bad, then guess what? They're now stuck in a cycle of relationship after relationship because the relearning process happened with somebody that was unhealthy. And so what happens now is when we are broken, we have to pay attention to the first thing that happens after that thing is done. And I have to surround myself with people that can help me relearn to walk, surround myself with people who can help me rebuild my character, surround myself with people who can help me rebuild my values and make sure that I'm being built into the image of God. See, you and I, the word renewing comes to be new again. And I'm reminded of when I was younger, I would get hand-me-downs. And I'm wondering how many of our parents might have handed us down some stuff. Mm. Handed us down some baggage. Mm. Handed us down some bad spending habits. Handed us down some bitterness and anger. Mm. And I wonder today if you'll identify the hand-me-downs that you need to remove from your life so that you and I can be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Amen. Come on, somebody. Amen. Come on. Yeah.
Listen, he got potential. Potential. <laughs> right there. Come on, Xavier. That was such a great word. This has been so good for me, even for us to revisit things we've been talking about. Parents, business leaders, people who are dating, whatever questions you're trying to answer about somebody's character, this is so good. Pastor Gary reminding us that we need to be service providers. The family is supposed to teach you how to serve. And Xavier reminding us that we have to go to school, what it's supposed to look like. But here's what's, what's happening. Uh, sometimes it don't happen that way because y'all parenting is hard and it seems like an impossibility sometimes, even though it, a it is a privilege to get to shape our kids. When we saw that movie trailer earlier and I thought about this movie failure to launch because I actually was around when that movie actually uh, <laughs> came out because it was 2006 and I was well over the age to go see that movie alone. And so I was thinking about what that meant to, to be an adult uh, still living in a parent in their parents' home and being catered to by their parents because they could not deal with loss. They could not deal with change. This parenting thing is hard. And so today we, we don't want you to spend time blaming your parents. This is about your own right. journey, your own That's discovery, right. so you can figure out who you are today. Yeah. Because there's a thing that we talk about now in this next quadrant. If you have your handout from last week, you can go look it up. This is what it means for, for parents to create a scouting agency. They're supposed to create a space where they are pouring into their children, directing them with this arrow so they can understand who they are, how God has wired them, what they're good at, who they're made to be, right? It's the whole idea of Proverbs 22.6, that you train up a child in the way they should go so they won't depart from it. But, but there's this constant balance between parent control and self-control and God control and having a lot of control early on in their lives, then teaching them how to have control for themselves and ultimately finding that dependence on God. But here's what happens when, when things get amiss in the home. As adults, you will find that you're struggling in the God control area. You, you might be very disciplined and know how to have your checklist and you might be okay with self-control, but the God control, that utter dependence for him to define who who you are, what you're supposed to be doing, and where you're supposed to be going is where we get messed up. Y'all, I look through social media sometimes, and I, I talk to people, and because we're in this digital world, as if we did not have enough screen time already. Now we're in a situation where we have to have it for work and to worship and to connect. I would challenge you to go look at your stats and see how much your screen time is up wow. over the past several weeks. Those numbers might frighten you. But can I tell you that there is danger sometimes in measuring life in that frame just by what you see in somebody else's life. You're scrolling, and you're not paying attention to who God's made you to be because you're so worried about what they got. you on the phone call. You're looking at their life, their perfect little Instagram square. Because, by the way, everything around the picture is chaos and junk. But they were able to zoom in and get the right angle so it looks like their life is amazing and their whole entire house is well lit and everything is white and bright and clean. And it's just not the truth. Right, and we good, find ourselves right. obsessed with that. And so what happens is when we, when we don't know how to live in this God control area, the failure to launch as an adult can look like identity confusion. I call it identity confusion because this seems like every option is a good option. If you're the person that comes up with a new career idea and a new business plan every other year, you might struggle with identity confusion. If you spend your time comparing your life to someone else's, you might struggle with identity confusion. If you don't know how to respond when what identified you changes, you might be struggling with identity confusion. Mm. See, when Conway and I first got married, y'all, um, I, I had a pretty decent salary because I was in IT, and this was in the late 90s and early 2000s, and, and um, he told me that we were going to have to live off of his salary. Mm. Now, for those of y'all that think marriage is, like, supposed to be some kind of upgrade all the time, you need to get your thinking right because it's not always <laughs> this physical, material, ooh, now we're going to have two cars. Now we're, no, no, no. Sometimes you marry dudes that's from other countries, and they can't work full time, and they love Jesus so much, they earn $17 a year, and they talk about, let's live off my salary. So I'm like, I'm trying to live my best life, and you trying to bring me down a notch. I was like, we need to live off my salary. I came with my apartment guys. I have my stuff laid out. He said, uh-uh. We, we got to live off my salary. So I was like, oh, homeless. That's what we're going to be. We're going to be homeless. Because he didn't make any money. But here's what happened. Six months into being married, I got laid off. 9-11 hit. And that changed the IT industry. And Conway all of a sudden looked like a genius. And he just sat back there and just kind of like, I'm not going to say I told you so. But he gave me that look. I told you so. 
And so <laughs> we, had to, we had to rethink things. But guess what? The, the change wasn't as significant because we had chosen, well, we had decided, well, I was told that we were going <laughs> to live off of his salary. And so, so we didn't have to go through that much. And so it really didn't affect us that much physically. But here's what happened. I kind of went into a mini depression. And I was thinking, oh, it's just because I need to find another job. And everybody was out of work. And the IT bubble had burst. And I didn't know what to do. And God, God checked me one day. And he said, you're not sad because you can't find a job because you're looking for work. You're mm-hmm. sad because the work that you lost identified you more than I did. He says, you're sad because now you don't know who you are without the paycheck. Because you were defined by treating your friends to dinner and having the nicest things and traveling whenever you wanted. And now you don't have that anymore and you need to figure out who you are. See, identity confusion has set in. And this is why it can't be about the blame game. Because at some point in your adult life, you cannot count everything that happens to you as something wrong your parents did. So this wasn't about my mom and dad. My mom and dad loved Jesus. They had a Christian home. I still had identity confusion. Because as an adult, responsibility has to happen at some point. You can't stand on your childhood forever. And so God had to check me. And I had to rethink about who I was. As Xavier said, I had to relearn some things. I had to understand who he had called me to be, and it was separate apart from who had employed me. It was different from my paycheck. It was different from all those status things. And I just wonder today how many of us as parents are are setting our children up for identity confusion. Mm. I wonder how many of us as adults are are, are walking in that confusion and we don't even realize it. Mm. I wonder how many times we are so concerned with what's going to pay and what's going to be popular and what's going to be great and what's going to make us well-known rather than what God has asked us to do. I wonder how fewer, how fewer missionaries and pastors and evangelists and writers and authors and financial advisors and nutritionists we have doing what they should be doing for the kingdom of God because they're worried about the world, because they're worried about the paycheck. Identity confusion is a dangerous thing. And everything around you cannot speak into who you are. Only God can. That's good. And if you stay in the confused place for too long, let me tell you what happens. Identity crisis. Then you find out you really don't know who you are. And sometimes it's the letdown after you've achieved the goal that your whole life was geared toward. You realize it wasn't that great. Sometimes it's the, it's the lack of awareness that God has actually gifted you to do something great. But you're spending your time being the first and, or being the second and third and seventh version of somebody else when you could be the best version of yourself. Mm-hmm. Like there's things that God has left you to do that are undone. Because you're trying to be everybody else. You're trying to figure out what's popular, what's going to get you the most likes and follows, what might be the hot topic versus what might be the heart of God for you. It's like when you go into the grocery store. If you've ever been to the grocery store, they tell you not to go when you're hungry. Let me tell you why. Because in those moments when you need like $40 worth of groceries, Mm -hmm. you walk out of there with $198.72 worth of groceries, (laughs) and you're trying to figure out what happened. Because when you're walking through the grocery store and you're hungry, everything goes in the cart. You're like, I'm making pasta and ribs and chicken and everything. Because when you're hungry, it looks like everything satisfies. Mm. So when God fills you and you have a confidence, which is where we're trying to go, you can stand differently. You don't have to be in identity confusion. No one else has to define who you are. And identity confusion that leads to crisis so that when things change in this world, you are not rattled. The crisis, y'all, is not just for the hard times. When I have this identity confidence, which is where we really need to be, not confusion, not crisis, but confidence, then I don't have to worry about when things are changing. That means the layoff does not depress me. It also means the promotion Mm. does not impress me. That Mm. either way, what this world has to offer is nothing compared to who God has made me to be. Can I just read you a few verses out of 1 Samuel 17? We can see a young man who walked in the identity confidence that we're all aiming for. I'll just read through a little bit of the story of David and Goliath. 1 Samuel 17, starting with verse 32. Now, the the giant had come against the army of God, against the children of God, and and Saul and his people had sent out trying to find somebody that could battle this giant. And so we pick up the story in verse 32. It says, and David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. This is a shepherd boy now with some identity confidence here. In verse 33, and Saul says to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. You just got potential, David. Wait a minute. And he has been a man of war from his youth. You've been with sheep and animals. He's been fighting his whole life. How are you qualified 
But David said to Saul, verse 34, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and a, and a lamb from the flock, I would go after him. I struck him, delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Verse 36 says, your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defiled the armies of the living God. He says, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And in verse 38, it says, then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put on his helmet of bronze and on his head clothed him with a coat of mail. And it says in verse 39 that David said to Saul, I have to give these back to you. Go with these. I can't go with these because I have not tested them. Can I tell you what's happening in this story? That the person that should have had the least amount of confidence had absolutely no confusion when it came to fight the enemy that God had sent against mm. his people. He had all the confidence to say, I can easily translate what God did for me in this season so mm. I can be victorious in this season. I don't have any doubt. Okay. I don't need your game plan. I don't want to know how you would do it. God has told me how I would do it. And a matter of fact, your armor, even though it's shiny, even though it has more likes, even though it has more blings, it has more tracks, it's not for me. It doesn't fit. I'm okay just taking what I have and what I know works for me because I will find success with my five rocks more than I will with your great armor. Mm -hmm. See, my confidence says that you cannot try to put on me what works for you because God is the one who works through me and he will work through me in the way he's wired me. This is identity confidence, y'all. Then it says he takes his, food, his, his five smooth stones from the brook. He not, we know he kills Goliath. In verse 43, it says, the Philistine said to David, he's talking noise. He said, am I a dog that you've come with me, uh, come at me with sticks? Then he says to David, I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the hearts of the field and to the beasts of the field. And David says to him, you come at me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. Amen. Listen. He says, you can talk noise. You can be bigger than me. You can be better than me in the eyes of others. But my confidence is not in your appearance. Your, my confidence is not in what everybody else puts their confidence in. It doesn't matter my height. It doesn't matter my resume. It doesn't matter what my war skills. It doesn't matter my history, my heritage. It's who God has called me to be. Because here's the thing about it. David was about to discover that God would make him a king. But he had the heart of a king even before he had the position of a king. Yeah. Because he knew the identity that God had called him to. This is what we are trying to raise in our children, parents. And for adults, this is where we're trying to be. We want to walk in this place of confidence. We want this certainty that says this world cannot shake me, that God alone defines me. I wonder today where you might be struggling in your identity journey. Is it, is it confusion? Or, or maybe you find yourself in a crisis. Or could it be that finally you're heading in a season of confidence? I want to encourage you, whether you're a parent or, or whether you're an adult trying to figure out your own journey, that God's identity is already there for you. All you have to do is discover it. You don't have to create it. You don't have to manufacture it. He is waiting to reveal it so you can walk in the fullness of who he says you are. You know, I'm thinking about um, my travel days, y'all, because I used to travel and I miss it. I even had my, uh, my little carry-on packed and it sits in front of my, um, sits in my door sits in my bedroom door because for a while I was in and off of planes. And, you know, so now I just look at it prophetically. And I just hope one day by faith we'll be traveling again. But I do like to travel. And um, I, don't, I don't travel a lot with my kids. It's usually for ministry and things like that. But I, I see people traveling with their kids. And it's interesting how that dynamic can shift when you have children. And what's more interesting is what's required of children when they travel. Now, the first time I traveled with my son, he was under the age of two. I didn't have to buy him a ticket. He didn't need a boarding pass. You know why? Because he was under the age of two. Too, he could sit in my lap. But then as our kids got older, the airlines, most airlines will require that they have a ticket and a boarding pass because they need their own seat. But what's interesting is under the age of 18, they don't need their own ID. As long as they have a ticket and a boarding pass and they're with you, they're fine. After the age of 18, they need a boarding pass, they need a ticket, but they also need their own ID. Because what the airline is saying is that when they are young, their ID is fully associated with you. They don't even need their own seat. They can sit in your lap. But as they get older, they need 
need their own seat, but they still don't need an ID because as long as you're with them, their ID has been qualified, has been satisfied. But when they get older, when they're over the age of 18, if they want to go anywhere that they want to go on their own, they need their own identification. Because the older you get, the more complete your identification has to be for the airline to let you go where you want to go. So here's what I'm saying, parents. If you've got 18 and 20-year-olds, get them out of your lap. And here's what I'm saying, adults. If you are over the age of 18, you need your own identity. And your identity is not just in what your parents did wrong, how they failed you, and how they messed up. Your identity cannot be built on the gaps that your parents created. It has to be built on who God has made you to be. And here's the bottom line. You will not go anywhere that you plan on going, let alone where God wants you to go, if you don't fully understand who you are and have your own identification. That's good so the question today for you, confusion, crisis, or confidence, where are you and where do you need to be headed? In Jesus' name. My God. Mm. All right, Gary, let's talk about that a little bit. How do you, yeah, 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 yeah. How do you, how do you increase your God confidence? How do, you, how do you shift whatever the background you came from? How do you shift to make sure your identity is not wrapped up in your job, what you wear, how you look? And how do you begin the process of, of making sure your identity is wrapped up in who God says that you are? Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on well, that? Well, I think some of it is what we've, we've talked about already, the whole mm-hmm. idea of don't be conformed to this world. The idea of w- this world teaches us things that we need to unlearn. Yeah. It's a, re- a really interesting concept in Scripture, the idea of learning and then unlearning. Yeah. It's called repentance. Mm-hmm. Ma, ma, ma. It says, basically, <laughs> i got to go in another direction. Yeah. So, so if I grew up as a lap child, yeah. and, and you know, at some point I got to realize, you know, this isn't getting me where I need to go. <laughs> That's so good. So, so, yeah. uh, so repentance is not something you spray paint on a rock and shout at people. Right. It just means go in a different direction. Yeah. So mm. I think the idea is just coming to that point. And I think just listening to Jed, I'm thinking there may be a bunch of people out there right now going, you know, I need to rethink this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I need to unlearn some of these so that I can find out who I am in Christ. It's all over the scripture. That's good. Of who you are in Christ. That's awesome. And, uh, and I think that's where you get it from. You get yeah. it. There's a, there's a biblical worldview and a human worldview, and we need the biblical one. No, that's good. Mm-hmm. All right, everybody. So here's what we've said so far. Let's make the connection. Uh, we've been talking about making sure that parents, as you launch these kids, uh, you have the, the stabilizing each one of the four things we're talking about helps stabilize that kid to get to the destination. Uh, Pastor Gary talked briefly about the idea of being a service provider. And they, he basically said that the idea there is that it is the antidote of self-centeredness. Then Pastor Xavier came up and he talked about the significance of school and that the goal here is to teach you these life lessons and the life lessons of relationships and character and values. And then Jada just shared with us the significance of the scout, the scouting agency where it is your assignment to know what your identity is so that you are moving in the right direction toward the target that God has for you. And all four of these have one singular job to make sure you're not aimlessly drifting from place to place, but that you are a target headed for the destination God has called you to. So let me see if we can close this off, ladies and gentlemen, as we go through all four of these. The last one is the sanctuary. The sanctuary simply refers to the idea that the family, one of the purposes of the family, is that the family should be a shelter in the midst of storms. Mm-hmm. Your parents should, be, should have taught you how to handle three big things, how to handle change, we all go through it. How to handle failure, we all go through it. And how to handle rejection. Every person has in some format been rejected in their past. And what the home should have been. It should have been a place where you get a chance to come home and to simply cry when you've been hurt. And then to redirect each child so that they know how to handle change, how to handle failure, and how to handle rejection. Well, let me talk a little bit, first of all, about change, change, change. Oftentimes in relationships, people come and go from our lives. And we have to know how to handle individuals that come into our lives and individuals that leave our lives. Mm-hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm, I'm, I'm really pleading with you to teach this one because this will be a stabilizing force in your life. 
You see, change happens all the time. There are three kind of people, three individuals that you should know uh, will come into your lives, and you must be able to identify each one of them when they come in. And do not mix up the roles that each one should play in your life or else pain will come knocking at your door. The first one is your roommate. The first one's a roommate. A roommate's important to you. Um, Anybody that has a good, solid roommate knows that a roommate can help you go places that you would have never been on your own. The roommate refers to the individual in your life that's a confidant. It's the person that cries when you cry. It's the person that weeps when you weep. It's the person that smiles and is joyful when you are joyful. It is the person that you can pour your heart out to, knowing they're not going to take it and tell everybody else. You see, this person called the confidant or your roommate is the person that you must have. And if you have two or three of them in your entire life, I'm telling you, you're a blessed person because most of us, most of us don't have three and never had three. Let me tell you how significant this is. You remember the story of David and Jonathan. Jada talked about chapter 17. This is chapter 18 of the passage. David would have never been king had it not been for his confidant, for his roommate, his boy that came alongside him and walked with him. You see, because while David was on the outside of the wall, Jonathan was making deals on the inside of the wall that would get David to ultimately become king. And most people... People, you only have people around you that you can tell what to do. You don't have anybody that's gone ahead of you to work it out for you yeah. so that by the time you get there, the path has been cleared for you. Wow. And when you only have people that are not as smart as you around you, then th- there's nobody to open doors for you that you can't open yourself. Mm. And too many people yeah. hang out with people that you tell what to do and don't hang out with people where you have to sit at their feet mm. and listen. Listen, you see, the confidant or your roommate is the person that can look in your face and tell you you're wrong and you need to stop it right now. The confidant is the person that can look you in the face and tell you great job and can tell you, man, I am so proud of you. And you know they're speaking from the heart. They're not just pumping you gas. Ladies and gentlemen, every last one of us need at least two or three in in the history of our lives. We need at least two or three. Now, not only do you need a roommate. Ah, but every now and again, God's going to send some people that's a teammate. You see, while a roommate is for you, the person, a teammate is for what you are for. Do not make, do not confuse the difference. A teammate is for what you are for. And if you're going to avoid pain in this situation, then you must know the difference between those two. See, because as long as they're for what you're for and you all are on the same page, they're good. But don't let somebody else be for what they're for, and they like them more than you because they will leave you in a minute. Mm. And if you, listen to me, if you tell your dreams to the person that's not for you, but for what you are for, then they will take your dream, take it to somebody else, and go execute your dream that you told them about, that you had no business telling them about, but because you are not a good stabilizer, you shared stuff with somebody else that you had no business sharing it with them. They are not for you. They are for what you're for. That's your teammate. You've been around teammates. As long as we're moving in the direction of winning the trophy, everybody's happy. But Lord have mercy. Make it be a losing season. And no, everybody is fighting each other because what you're for is no longer good for them. So they will go leave your team, find another team that's for what they're for, and leave you hanging. My God. Ladies and gentlemen, do not mix those two up. So you have your roommates, then you have your teammates, then thirdly, you have your classmates. My God, your classmates are the ones where you study together. So all of you are against failing. Nobody wants to fail the class. So everybody make sure that we're going to be for this. We're going to be against failing so everybody can pass the test. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you mix up a confidence, somebody that you can pour your life into, somebody that you can share everything with somebody that's simply a classmate, 
who's just with you to make sure you pass the test, then here's what you need to know. As soon as the test is passed and you get a passing grade, then they're going to leave you and you're going to feel pain. It's like a scaffolding. As soon as you're building the building, they're with you. That's what they are. They're simply a scaffold. They're building the building with you. And as soon as the project is done, the scaffolding is removed. And once it's removed, they're not in your life again. They've gone to another facility. They've gone to somewhere else to help somebody else. Ladies and gentlemen, the mistake most leaders make, which is why we have, we have so much pain in our lives sometimes relationally, is because you mix up your, your, your teammate with your roommate. Yeah. And you mix, mix up your, your, the idea with your study partner or your classmate with your roommate. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for us to grow up in yeah. this area and realize there's some people in your life that you are not to share what God has laid on your heart with yeah. because they will take it and run with it and go do it and put their name on it when you gave them the idea in the first place. That ain't nobody else's fault but yours. Quit having an identity crisis so you want everybody to like you so you share everything with everybody and then demand that they be a confidant when God didn't send them into your life to be a confidant. I wish I had a witness up in this place. Ladies and gentlemen, this week's been one of the hardest weeks for me because a dear friend of mine is going through one of the hardest periods of his entire life. And you need to know, you need to know that this week I've sat with him because he's one of my dearest friends. He's a roommate. He's been with me through the ups and downs of ministry. And you better believe it. I've been there every morning. At 2 o'clock in the morning, this, no, two, days, two days this week, I was up, could not sleep. I called my buddy. Hey, man, how you doing? Man, I'm struggling too. And we're talking to each other and we're praying with each other and we're encouraging each other. You know why? Because that's what roommates do. That's what confidence do. You're there for them in the most difficult and ugly parts of their life. I pray God you have some of those people in your life because if you don't, you're going to have a lonely life ahead of you because they are for you whether you have the title or not. They are for you. Whether you have the money or not, they're for you. Whether you're in a crack house, they're still for you. And they'll go down there, find you down there, pull you back up and say you have no business being down there. Ladies and gentlemen, every last one of us needs, I promise you, we need a roommate. All right, let's go to number two. Then we have to deal with failure. Failure, ladies and gentlemen, has taught me more than anything else. Failure. See, when you have, when you have success... You celebrate your success, but listen, but you learn from your failure. The leadership guru, John Maxwell, said this. He said, he said, when you fail, since you're already down on the floor, on the ground, might as well you pick up something while you're down there. What we have today is we have too many people that while you're down there, you fiddle around talking about, woe is me, woe is me. Instead of trying to learn what is down there that you can pick up so you never fall in that area again. I wish I had a parent that would teach their kids. When you fall, that's a great learning opportunity because most of your best lessons you're going to learn in the midst of failure. You celebrate, you celebrate, ladies and gentlemen, you celebrate the successes. Oh, but you learn from your failure. There's a major difference between, between a suede jacket and a synthetic jacket. There's a major difference between the two. Uh, 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 a synthetic jacket, it looks flawless. It looks perfect. It looks like it's all well done and it's perfect. Ah, oh, but next time you go in your closet, look at your suede jacket. It's going to say this on it. It's going to say this. It's going to say, the flaws in this garment prove the authenticity of the product. The flaws in this garment proves the authenticity of the product. You see, ladies and gentlemen, every time you fail, you have more more power to share your story, which shows how real and authentic you are. So every time God allows the bottom to fall down, every time you make a mistake, the question you ought to ask yourself is, God, I know I shouldn't have done that. Please forgive me for that. But now, God, it becomes a part of the story. You want me to get a megaphone and shout out that in the midst of my failure, 
failure, God can still use broken people to do great things for God. So parents, you ought to be teaching your kids that. Leaders, you ought to remember when, you're, when you have fell, fall, when you fall, when you have fallen, whatever the issue is that you're going through, you need to be able to say to them, hey man, I wasn't perfect. Here's what I did wrong. You need to admit it first and first and foremost and share it with them and then say, but that now becomes a part of my story and I'm grateful that I have a God of mercy who can walk me through it. And then lastly, lastly, let's look at rejection. Every one of us have been rejected in some way. All of us have. Somebody, when we were five years old, told us something that still is stuck in our mind. Somebody, the first person you dated and they left you, what they said to you is still stuck in your mind. And many of you have had whole lives that you have built because of what one person said to you that you still have not forgotten today. But I came by to tell you today, I want you to look at one story, just one. It is in a place that most people never, ever read. It's in Matthew, the first chapter. In the verse number two of the book of Matthew, do not miss it, ladies and gentlemen, because the text simply says in Matthew chapter one, verse two, here's what it says, Abraham fathered Isaac. Then it says, Isaac fathered Jacob. Then it continues, Jacob fathers Judah and his brothers. And then Judah fathered Perez. But, 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 if you have... Just read along with me. You've missed the point of the passage so far. Let me tell you what it says again. Abraham, by the way, Abraham, who was a liar, he fathered Isaac. Isaac fathered Jacob. Then the text says, here's what you must not miss. Jacob fathered Judah. You do know who Judah is, don't you? You you do know who. Judah is the son of not Rachel, who Jacob loved. But Leah, who Jacob uh, not only rejected, but did not love. Whoa, 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 whoa. So you mean to tell me that Judah is in the line. Let's go all the way down to verse 16 now. And Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. You mean to tell me that my God can use people who were unloved, unwanted, rejected, and he can use them to create a blessing like they have never seen before. Is that what you're trying to tell me? That no matter how much other people have rejected you, God has a blessing behind every rejection. And if you keep focusing on Jesus, he has a blessing down the road for you, even though somebody has rejected you and called you bad names. Now listen, it's not done there because Jesus Christ himself, the text says he was rejected too, but he was rejected so that you might be accepted. Lord have mercy. There is somebody in here who have been rejected and my goal and my desire for you today is to know that even though you have rejected, God has a blessing behind every single rejection. Everyone, everything that somebody said, every time you felt unloved, uncared for, rejected, lonely, God says, I specialize in turning whatever you're feeling into a blessing like you have never seen before. So pick your head up, realizing that this is a sanctuary that God created so that you can cry in him and to him and he will turn that thing around into a blessing like you have never seen before. So how about you? Where are you at? Well, let me ask this group first of all. Hey, guys, tell me a little bit now about what's the one big thing. We're, we're failing to launch. How do we do this relaunch? Give me one summary statement, and then let's close us out today. Pastor Gary, you start with the whole concept of a service provider. Give me the one thing that you want us never to forget. Speak straight into that camera and tell us what that is. Never confuse greatness and famousness. Don't be conformed by huh. this world and That's what good. gets thrown in front of you as things that, that will give you your identity, but rather listen carefully to what Jesus says. He says, in my kingdom, greatness is measured by service. That's so, good. so serve somebody today. That's good. Mm. All right. Xavier, what are you thinking? Um, I would say the, the major principle if we fail to launch and we're now relaunching is just to identify the spaces in our life for our character, uh, values, or relationships that we need to learn, unlearn, or to relearn. And then figure out what we need to do in order to get to that next level. Excellent. All right. That was service provider. That was the concept of school. Now, Jada, talk about the scouting agency. Tell us what's the one big thing we need to walk away from here with. Uh, whether you're... 
parenting children or you are just living your life as an adult, you have got to figure out where you are on the identity continuum, mm. confusion, crisis, or confidence. And if mm. you're not at confidence, you have to trust that God has given you everything you need to do the work, understand who you are, how you're wired, so you can walk in the confidence that he has for you. That's beautiful. All right, everybody. So here we go. What we're talking about is this concept of how do you make sure that you're going to be a stabilizing force. That's what this is, the stabilizing force that takes the arrow that God has created straight to its destination. And your assignment then, my closing thought, is that as the center, the last feather, the assignment is that whenever you have to deal with change, you realize that if it's a relationship change, you realize and you assess which one of the three is this person and then treat them accordingly and do not expect them to be confidants or roommates when they're simply there for a season in your life. And then when you, reach, when you have experienced rejection, just remember, like Leah, God can turn rejections into something beautiful, a miracle that will change the world. So maybe today you are wondering, hey man, I'm not, a, I'm not a believer and I had a really bad past. Then I'm saying to you today, God specializes in taking people with bad past and turning it around. So if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then today we're inviting you. Would you consider trusting Jesus? Because there is no greater stabilizer than the man himself, Christ Jesus. That's where it starts. Apart from him, these are all just tips. That's all they are. But when he's in the center of it, then he can launch this arrow into the destination he has called you to be. If you're here today and you're not a part of a body of believers, it might start with that for you. And you might want to join our church. Well, right after this, at 2 o'clock today, we have a membership class that you can join. Just fill that out. Hey, man, I want to be a part of this, of this uh, 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 membership class. And then if you're here today and you're not in a community group, one of the best ways when you come out of a family is to be among other believers that can make sure they spur you on to good works and good deeds and be that for you. So would you consider that today? Just go in the chat and just uh, right there, just say, hey, man, I want to be, I wa I be with some other Christians so that they can help me be the stabilizing force so that, that God's called me to be. And so, family, we're going to accept some new members now into our church. What an honor, really, what an honor that 700 people over the last six weeks have decided to join our church. And today you're going to meet some more. So don't check out. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't check out yet. If you're here and you're a part of this church, I want you to applaud. I want you to say welcome home. If you are one of those members, I want to say thanks for, thanks for welcoming me home. As they read this name, this is not the time for you to check out. This is the time to realize that you're a part of something really special called the body of Christ. So don't minimize this role. Celebrate it as others will right now. Courtney, take us away. Darren Davis, Aaron Denny, Marcus Diaz, Charlotte Dumbell, Latasha Dotson, William and Alex Dubra, Toya Dudley, Ashley Edwards, Ubong and Katie Ekbo, Andre and Felicia Ellie, Suki Epi, Camille James Epi, Bernard Farrington, Donna Faulkner, Tina Fields, Nicole Fitzgerald, Damond and Michelle Forbes, Kevin and Linda Francisco, Andrew and Stacy Fuller, Jade Gaines, Derek and Deborah Garcia, Tia Garrett, Clarissa Glasper, Melissa Gore, Kay Green, Don and Melissa Griffin. Carl Haley, Sierra Harris, Mark Hodge, Tanya Hollins, Tay Holman, A.T. Holt, Lebronte and Tracy Hoover, Brittany Howard, Ashley Hurst. Welcome to the family. <laughs>